What's up, everybody? Welcome back, Championship Leadership Podcast, and uh, we got Michael Anthony with us today from Portland, Oregon. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, before we get too deep into you and your story, I always like to ask: Championship Leadership is the name of the podcast. What comes to mind for you when you hear Championship Leadership? To me, that is about moving towards that goal and being willing to take whatever comes along with it. You know, I, I think all too often leadership gets misconstrued with management. And I think to, to be a leader, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah, absolutely. I see uh, Can't Hurt Me in the background with David Goggins. He's uh, definitely someone who's willing to do what it takes, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I think about this often in life. If, if we're not willing to be the hero of our own story, then who will? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. What's, uh, well, tell us a little bit more about who you are and, and uh, Think Unbroken and what that's all about and kind of how you've gotten to um, where you are today and what you're up to today. Yeah, so Think Unbroken is a mindset and educational leadership course effectively for people becoming the leader of their own life through understanding and overcoming childhood trauma, which is one of the real pandemics in the world right now. And, and this came about through my own journey of having to heal, learn, grow, and, and ultimately learn self-sovereignty and sustainability. Um, and then by proxy, I was just sharing information I discovered, Nate, and then suddenly I've written a number one best-selling book, traveled the world, hosting my workshop, and I've coached thousands of people through becoming unbroken. And uh, well, what what's it mean to be unbroken? Where's what, how do you define that? To me, broken, it's about rather can you look in the mirror and be okay with the reflection on the other side? Meaning, like, are you honest? Are you living within your values? Do you understand your wants, needs, interests, your personal boundaries, your mission, your goal, your personal statements? Can you identify who you are and then live with authority and actuality through that? So much of it is about self-actualization. You know, we come from, especially in American Western culture society, from this place where we're told to be afraid of our dreams. But I challenge you, can you get there anyway, despite the things that you've been for? 
been through, excuse me, or even perhaps in my case, in spite of them and say, you know what, watch me, watch what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I keep coming back to these books behind you. So what, what's, uh, what's the reason for the books that you chose to be prominently displayed? And if you're not watching this uh, and you're listening, it's the 10X rule, uh, Grant Cardone, I believe, uh, the, is that the linchpin thing or no, what is, oh, think that's my book. I'm sorry, that's your book. Yeah. It, for some reason, I was thinking linchpin for some, and then can't hurt me. So yeah, what, is there a story behind that? Yeah, actually, no one's ever asked me that. I love that question, man. Um, so 10X rule, I, I didn't know who Grant Cardone was before two months ago. Um, and I came across this book because he was chasing me on social media. He's like, buy my book, buy my book. I was like, yeah, hey, good, I'll buy yeah. your book, leave me alone. <laughs> All right, <bro>. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I read it and I was like, wow, okay, this is someone who gets what I'm trying to do at scale. Yeah. And um, two weeks ago, I was at the 10X boot camp. I pitched Think Unbroken in front of 10,000 people live. I won first place and Grant Cardone donated $10,000, invested $10,000 into Think Unbroken. Oh, wow. So, you know, I got mad love for, I I didn't know this guy two months ago. And it's really Mm -hmm. incredible the impact that he's had on my life in such a short period of time. Um, And then the David Goggins book. So that's actually autographed by David. My, one of my best friends, David, um, gave me a copy of that book because I told him to read it on listen to it on audiobook as he was training for marathon and it changed his life and and Goggins life and mine have a lot of parallels. We're both from Indiana. We both had hyper abusive families where he went into the military. I actually couldn't pass MEPS because of a childhood uh, knee injury from wrestling. And so the parallel kind of ends there, but then connects in other places. Um, And then my book, because if you don't believe in yourself, then who will? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, appreciate you uh, sharing that. What's, yeah. you talk about, you work with people on their childhood traumas, yes? Yeah. Um, so, well, maybe talk a little bit more about that and maybe even a little bit more about yours, if you're willing to. And, um, and then another question is, is uh, do you find that it's pretty common that most have some form of childhood trauma? Um, you know, I think for me, there most certainly probably is. And a lot of times I would probably also discredit it and not realize how much of an impact it makes on my life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love know. those questions. Um, first, you're absolutely right, Nate. 83% of adults by, by study probably have at least one adverse childhood experience. And so there's this thing called the ACE survey, 1994. It needs to be revamped, but they're working on it. Mm-hmm. 1994, Dr. Felitti and the California uh, Center for Disease Control, along with Kaiser Permanente, did this survey of adults to f- discover why people were having these long-term physical, mental, emotional ramifications from their past. And what they discovered was on average, 83% of all people on planet earth have one childhood adverse experience. And that could be, you know, parents getting divorced or drug addict or not being clothed or fed or the list goes on and on. Hmm. And then if you do have one, the chances are you're probably going to have two or more, right? Um, It's exponential. I'll give you the elevator pitch of my life because I think it'll help create at least a baseline. Yeah. 
I grew up in Indianapolis. My mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. She actually cut off my right index finger when I was four years old. My stepfather, hyper abusive, the kind of dude you never want to have in your life, never met my real dad. We we're mainly homeless during my childhood. From eight to 10, I lived with 30 different families. I was stealing food and water to survive. We're talking about America. I was stealing food yeah. and water. By the time that I was 12, I got high for the first time. When I was 15, I got expelled out of school. I was selling drugs, running with the wrong people, selling, carrying guns, breaking into people's houses, pawning their stuff to make money. Like it's insane what I was doing. Um, I didn't graduate high school on time, but I did eventually, luckily, um, and, and my three childhood best friends have been murdered. When, when I was 18, I was thinking about what's the solution for all of this, Nate? Like, how do you solve this? And I was like, oh, it's money. And I knew that if I stayed on the track that I was going, I was going to end up dead or in jail. My childhood best friend had just got arrested doing a cocaine deal. I got family in prison for life. I come from this place where you don't get out. And I said, mm -hmm. I'm going to make $100,000 a year legally. That was my goal by the time I'm 21. Fast forward to 21. I cashed my first check for $10,000 right before my 21st birthday. Working for a Fortune 50 company. This is almost impossible. Now you think, great, life got better. Wrong. What ended up happening is that money exacerbated all the chaos of my life. More drugs, more clothes, more cars, more food, more women. I found myself 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep, and on my 25th birthday, put a gun in my mouth. The truth is what I didn't understand that I now know over a decade removed from that moment was the implication of childhood trauma and all those things being kept inside of me that were creating this incredibly intense vortex of chaos. Fast forward, here I am talking to you after doing the work, going through it. And the coaching thing, writing a book, being a mentor, being an advocate, doing this work, it was serendipitous because I was just trying to share the education because if I, what I understood is if I had to discover it, that means other people needed to discover it too. Yeah. And the biggest thing is I look at the world, I look at what it is that I want to do and what I want to accomplish. And I think about the fact that there are millions of people impacted by this who are terrified to be the leader of their own life because they're scared of their own potential. And I know what we're capable of doing. And it's my mission. How do we move through this? Well, how, how do you help somebody that is going through life impacted by maybe some of that trauma and has no clue that they are? Yeah. You, you know, I, I think what happens, unfortunately, is the nomenclature in, in this society is to say, get over it, put some dirt on it, man up. Don't be a pussy. Mm -hmm. and, and that goes like that's regardless of gender. That yeah. applies to men and women now, which is really right. shocking. Yeah. And, and so the first thing that you have to do is also the most uncomfortable thing, Nate. You have to acknowledge that maybe something bad happened. It doesn't mean you're culpable for it. And I think we have to be very clear about this distinction. You're yeah. not responsible for things that happened to you when you were 5, 7, 14, 18, right? Right. But now you're faced with this really difficult question of what am I willing to do to have the life that I want to have? The acknowledgement comes in the form of giving yourself grace and saying, you know what, maybe there is a reason I ended up like this. Maybe there is something that has brought me to this moment. But then taking that understanding, that acknowledgement, 
and not being a victim of it. Because look, realistically, up until that point, you have been. I found myself doing drugs, anonymous sex, hurting people, like putting myself in the most precarious situations that you could because I was terrified of the reality that I had to acknowledge the darkness. And there's a, there was a lot in there, brother. And what happened was in that acknowledgement, it actually seemingly freed me. Now, it became more difficult in one sense because in the aspect of the journey of healing, and I'll get to answering your question here in one second, in the aspect of that, I had to put myself in a position to be uncomfortable, to become vulnerable with myself, to become an emotionally capable human being. And that meant going to therapy and AA and NA and SA and all the A's, going to men's group, going to personal development conferences, reading the books, going and doing all the things that I never dared dream that I would do because I knew somehow instinctually on the backside of all that, something beautiful could potentially happen. And that was enough to drive me. And as a coach and as a mentor and an advocate and an author and the things that I do now, the way that I help people, I cannot heal anyone. That's not how this works. And I'm not a therapist. I never will ever claim to be, nor do I want to be. But what I do is I give you the tools and the reframing of the possibility in your life by being able, I think about this all the time. If up here, this high level, if you're listening, if you raise your hand above your head, if that's where you want to be, and right now, this other hand is chest level, that's where you are. The difference between where you are and where you want to be is through action. Can we create a game plan? Can we create a framework? Can we create something that elicits a path forward? Again, despite or perhaps in spite, if you need a little bit of fuel, what you do sometimes of your past to ultimately become the leader of your life and the hero of your own story. And so much of that is enveloped and ingrained in us from youth. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not capable enough. Well, how do we reframe that? How do we change that understanding? And more importantly, how do we show up for ourselves every day? Hmm. Yeah, appreciate that. What's... um. What are some of the championship leaders that have impacted you inside of your life? Like who are some of the people that have come along in this journey that you've been on that have, that have uh, stood out, that have, that have helped you get to the path that you are today? And what is it, you know, what are some of the characteristics about those people that really stand out? Man, I love that question so much. There, there are so many people. I, I, in passing, I once heard someone say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. And I didn't understand that until I started being the dumbest person in the room intentionally. And yeah. that really profoundly changed my life. There, there's a couple people that come up. One, Mr. Bush, my, eight, my, my um, senior year business teacher in high school. The only person brave enough to fail me in a school where it's impossible to fail because he saw potential. You know, it's very much like, let's just get him thrown in the world and let the police deal with them kind of yeah. situation. And, and on three days before graduation, the list was posted and I was at home stoned playing video games. And my girlfriend calls me and she goes, you're not on the list. You're not graduating. And I knew immediately it was him. I knew, yeah. I just knew. So I go to school. I'm pissed, man. And I'm standing out the hall waiting for it to end. And he comes out and I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? Why did you fail me? Just laying into this guy. And he's calm. He's six foot six, 300. He ain't worried about me, brother. And, and he looks at me and he goes, I didn't fail you. I asked you to do one thing. 
which earlier in the year, I told him, I'm not coming to your class, man. It's 7, 15 a.m. I'm up hustling all night. I got, I don't care about this class. Yeah. And he gets it. 20 years of teaching, he's seen it all. Mm-hmm. And he goes, check in with me and do homework. We will figure it out. Nate, you know how many times I checked in or did homework? (laughs) Just guess. Zero. Less than one, right? Yeah. Yeah, less than one. And so I'm sitting there and I'm having the conversation with him. And he goes, you need to know something really important about life. You're not going to be able to make it by on your charms and your good looks. And in that moment, I was irate. Now I was the failure. Right now, I was the person who couldn't graduate the easiest school probably in America to graduate from because he believed in me and I didn't understand that. And fast forward decades later, that still holds true. If you want to get by in life, you got to put in the work. And then, of course, I I find Jay-Z to be a fascinating human being. Um, Tom Bilyeu is one of my mentors and one of my favorite people on planet earth. I love Mel Robbins and Brene Brown, but then normal people, people you reach and approach on the street, people who you Mm -hmm. see out there making it work, being a good father, a good brother, a good sibling, a good mother, a person of the community, a person who moves the needle, even though that needle isn't bazillions of people. It's, it's what a, to answer your other part of your question, what draws me and attracts me to them it's self-actualization. I noticed something. So Think I'm Broken is now my third business. When, when I was in my early 20s, I was running a legal business. <laughs> this is very important. And, and, um, and I was listening to all these entrepreneurs. And I was deep into those books, right? Deep into those podcasts were kind of new then, but they were existing. Um, and deep into these conferences. And one day, Nate, it just hit me like a brick to the face. Do you know what most people who are successful have in common? They're not afraid to be themselves. And that's what was holding me back for so long. I was terrified of the potential of being myself. And in that moment, that recognition, like that was a game changer for me. And so that's what I look into when I, when I surround myself with people. Because if it's true that we're the sum total of the five most common people we spend our time with, then I want to spend my time with people who know who they are. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. Uh, and, uh, so true. And it is sometimes hard, especially with social media and, um, we get in our heads and we constantly think that people are, uh, worried about us and what we're doing in our lives when they got enough to worry about in their own. And, uh, we want to put out our, the, the best version of ourselves instead of really, truly owning who we are. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and look, think about this, man, there's 8 billion people on planet earth. Nobody knows who you are. Yeah. <laughs> so you might as well show up as yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, Mr. Bush, have you, uh, did you, did you ever have any kind of a relationship with him or ever uh, talk to him again after that uh, meeting in the hallway or, or was that it? I love that question. So I had this really strange moment. So there was a period of time when I was an international wedding photographer and I was doing, I've lived a lot of life. So I know that sounds insane. And, and I I was winning awards. I was getting published in magazines. That business was really growing. And I was, I was getting ready to go and shoot the biggest wedding I've ever done this next Saturday. And I needed a couple more memory cards. And so I just needed to clear my head. I'm like, I'm going to go to the furthest way, best buy in town. So I get in my car and I drive there and I go, I'm in the aisle. And in the corner of my eye, I see who I think is Mr. Bush. Now, dude, this is 12 years later. Yeah. No, excuse me, 10 years later. And so 
there he is standing. And I walk up to him and I go, you don't remember. He goes, I remember you. <laughs> he said my name. And I was like, whoa, holy shit. Wow. And I go, and I go, you saved my life. He goes, no, I didn't. You did. And he shook my hand and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what just happened? And I had tears <laughs> in my eyes, man, because yeah. it was one of the most emotional experiences of my life. Cause I never had anybody believe in me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks. For it was sharing. nuts, man. It was like out of a movie or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop out of here. See ya. Yeah. It's yeah. effectively what he did. <laughs> That's great. Um, I like to ask this question, you know, uh, championship leaders have incredible vision and, and more so courage to act on that. seems like you get a pretty powerful vision. Uh, would you be willing to share, you know, what's, what is that? What's the impact you want to make uh, even short term next five years or so? Yeah. Well, twofold, right? Long-term is I want to end generational trauma. I effectively want to put myself out of business and make myself obsolete. I recognize that on a long enough timeline that will happen, but understanding the construct of the world that we live in and 8 billion people, I'm going to die before that happens. So what I'm trying to do is create the framework and the baseline for it. So it lives far beyond me. Within the context of the next three to five years, the biggest things that I want to do is give my content, my education, my mentorship to a million impoverished and underserved children in America so that we can give them the mindset tools that they need to go into the world to have a real life. We know school does not prepare you for life. I don't know what's happening over there. It's all nonsense. It makes no sense to me. And yet we expect children to come out in the world and serve and be a part of the community and be leaders when they have no idea. Think about this. How shocking was it when you got out of high school, right? You're just, it is like one of the biggest shocks you ever experienced in your life. You are no way prepared for that. In high school, middle school, elementary school, they lie to you. So I want to give this system through the Think Unbroken Academy Foundation, which is a nonprofit I'm working on building right now to be seeded by the funds of Think Unbroken to give that education to not only children in, in America, but around the world. Because I want to create an exponential effect. If I can create the trickle down from empowering adults to become the leader of their life, and then on this side, give it to children, then by expansion and the property of exponentiality, eventually on that timeline, I'll make myself obsolete. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's an incredible vision for sure. Um, what's, uh, switch gears here a little bit. What, what's, um, and I know you've probably mentioned a few yet, but it seems like you, you might you have a, a number of them, as I think we all do. Turning point, critical moments in our life where you know, I would say the uh, kind of that fork in the roads moment where trying to figure out which way to, to, to turn or what path to go, go down. And, you know, again, we're in some crazy times now, uh, pandemic and everything else that's been happening in this world. And many people are, are in those moments. And it's always powerful to hear how others have decided and chosen those moments. And so obviously you decided the way you have, which has you where you are today, but is there one or two moments coming to mind right now that you can share with us? Yeah. I mean that, that Mr. Bush moment forever is going to yeah. be like at the top. Um, but, but there's, there's others, right. When, when I was nine years old, the, the water company had come to our house and turned off our water. We were that poor. Nate. Mm-hmm. We were so wow. poor that our water got shut water. off. Here. Yeah. And imagine that you're living in America and they turn off your water. And God, I have to you, take you this, do that. That's crazy. 
Yeah, you can. And I would take this little blue bucket to our neighbor's house and I would steal water from their spigot mm, yeah. because that would be our drinking water, our water supply for weeks sometimes, uh-huh. right? Yeah. For weeks in, in Indiana, humid, hot, 100 degree summers. It was the middle of August, this one specific moment I recall. And so fast forward, 25, excuse me, 26, I'm having this moment of coming to Jesus, for lack of a better term. I'm 350 pounds. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm smoking a joint, eating chocolate cake, and watching the CrossFit games. <laughs> I love it. If, if that's not rock bottom, I don't know what is. Yeah. And it wasn't that moment that created the change, but it was that next yeah. morning. And I'm standing in front of the mirror, and I'm, I'm looking at this fat, round, jaundiced face, thinking about how the hell did I end up here? Mm. And the flashback happened to that moment, that specific moment of being a little boy at nine years old, the scorching hot August Indiana day, and in my head saying, one day you're going to be rich. And it wasn't actually money. Now that I look back on it, it was just about livelihood. Yeah. And in that, and in that moment of that reflection in that mirror, I realized I wasn't being honest with myself. I wasn't living into my capability. I was living as a victim instead of a hero. I was blaming the world. You know more about me in 20 minutes than people I had known my entire life at that point. I was terrified of the truth of the reality of the impact of trauma. And it was eating me alive. And that moment became so incredibly profound because it was the first time I looked at myself in the eyes and said, enough is enough. No excuses just results. And the question that kept coming up is, Michael, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? Mm-hmm. And that just pushed me. And it took a long time, Nate. Yeah. I don't know that the healing journey ever ends, right? right. I yeah. don't know that there's ever a day where I'm not impacted by it. But now I think about it, who has the power? Who has the leverage in the story? And if not for all these little bits and pieces, I wouldn't be here. And so, you know, I have a thousand of these moments, but those two, man, they're hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate that. How long did it take you to shed, shed the weight? What are, what are you coming in at on the scales today? So today, um, coming in through COVID, uh, I'm at like 219. Yeah. So, you know, I, I put on, I had a six pack a couple of years ago, bro. I was yeah. in it deep. They shut down the <laughs> yeah. gyms out here. We literally couldn't go to the gym. Yeah, um, no, I, I get it. I, I put, it was I crazy, put it but that's an excuse. I'm just making excuses. I could have done fucking sit-ups all day long, but I did it. So <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but how long did it take realistically like six years? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think people have this weird idea that suddenly they'll do it and then they'll shed all the weight. And two years later, they'll be jacked and like, right. nah, bro. Like it takes yeah. time. It took so much effort. And now it's a lifestyle. I work yeah. out five to six times a week. I eat healthy. I don't eat processed food except tortilla chips because they're delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? And, but, but it's easy. It's easy to go to the chocolate cake. It's easy yeah. to go to the McDonald's. It's easy yeah. to go to those things. It's much harder to take care of yourself so you can reach your mission. Well, and the fact that you, you know, you, you will see a lot of people just in this example of shedding some weight, they'll do it quickly a lot in a short amount of time and the habits are not created and yes. they go back to where they were or worse. So the fact that it took you six years uh, instilled some of that uh, so that you could keep it as a lifestyle, right? Well, and there's a direct correlation. You heal the body, you heal the mind, you heal the mm-hmm. mind, you heal the body. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
as we start to wrap this up, what, you know, if there was two, one or two things you could leave with the listeners that if they were to put into action today would help move their life forward today, what would that be? Yeah. You have to listen to your intuition. You have to listen to your gut, not only about the things that you shouldn't do, but about the things that you should do. Your life can be different in the scope of a second because every choice, everything that we ever do in our life is either building us or destroying us. Everything that we do is a choice. Everything is a decision, whether you want to admit it or not. The hard truth about life is that you are in the driver's seat. You have the capacity and the capability of being great, being scared of that greatness. I understand that firsthand. I think we often are. It's embedded in us to not be good enough, strong enough, capable enough. Hey, you're a loser. Hey, you're this. Hey, you're that. And then that becomes the way that we think about ourselves in the world. And you must reframe that. But the only way you can reframe that and learn self-sovereignty, self-love, self-belief, self-esteem. I didn't have self-esteem until I was 27 years old. I didn't know what it was. The only way that you can do that is you must earn every inch of it by doing the hard things that are uncomfortable because through being uncomfortable, you create growth. And if your gut, everything in you is saying go left, but you keep going right, that's your fault. Right. Yeah, it's critical. And so it's hard. It's hard sometimes to. It's hard every day. Listen to that intuition, but you know, and you know, because of things within you. And also a lot of times we've got people on the outside trying to pull us that opposite way too. But yeah, I love it. What you said, build versus destroy. Is this building me or destroying me? Um, and we all know, we all know deep, we deep do. inside what, what, which one it is. So uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Um, tell us a little bit more about how we can uh, find out more about you, follow you and, and get in touch with you and what you got going on. Yeah. So I'm on all the social media everywhere at Michael Unbroken. Uh, and then you can find out more about what I do at hilltraumacoach.com. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here. It's been an honor. Uh, have a great day. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate you, my friend. See you soon. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera, I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable. From my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years. Years of marriages never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for. I'm gonna be a leader.